Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of Say Who, Say Pod. He's Danny O'Neill. I'm Christian Capel. The Washington Huskies are 8-2, and two, Danny, after a 37-34 upset of the number 6-ranked Oregon Ducks. It's the Say ki- it again! It's the kind of win... Say it again! A 37-34 to 34 upset of the number 6-ranked Oregon Ducks. You picked Washington to win straight up, uh, but did you really believe? No, of course not. In <laughs> fact, I think it's the... The fact that I didn't believe that I am chalking up to uh, part of the reason, not the only reason, but part of the reason that the Huskies won, that I had I had surrendered my long-held, usually when Oregon Week comes around, I puff up my chest in the entitled manner of a San Francisco 49er fan and sort of crow <laughs> about history and recent years being an aberration in the proper order of things, and I've abandoned that going forward. So I think that my, um, my humility was rewarded with a, a resounding victory that was oh so satisfying in any number of ways. At what point did you go from, they don't really have a, much of a chance, so like you said, I'm not going to get too like, you know, concerned about the outcome to, uh, okay, I'm, I'm going to be upset if they lose. Halftime. Yeah. Right, like they, they come out of the first half, you know, like I'm going to be, I was going to be bummed if they lost that game. Um, not... Not sort of, oh my gosh, I'm questioning everything, but I was going to be bummed. Or I, I felt they'd given themselves a chance to, to win that game. I felt, I felt pretty good about their offense playing better in the second half. And it's kind of that question of, okay, you told me it's, it's going to come down to, to who scores most in the second half of this game. I'm gonna, I'm, I'll take that. Um, and it turned out that they needed to score every single time they had the ball uh, for the most part. It was... It, the difference between those two halves was striking. I didn't realize this till I, I read our um, Matt Brown, one of our editors at The Athletic, who, who writes his weekly um, AP Top 25 behind the ballot column. They probably mentioned it on the on the broadcast, but Washington was 0-7 all-time against top 10-ranked Oregon teams coming into this game. Oh, really? It, it hadn't occurred to me. I mean, it, it makes sense, but it hadn't occurred to me coming in. Oh, because they're not ranked in the top 10 that often? Is that why it made sense? Well... Like that sort of like small sample size? It was more just that you think about like, wow, Owens, they've never beaten a top 10 Oregon team. But then you think about top 10 Oregon teams, and that it's all been, at least for the mm-hmm. most part, the last 20 years where you know, Washington Correct. was mostly non-competitive with them. It didn't It didn't occur to me until I saw that that like... Yeah, of course this is the best Oregon team Washington has ever beaten, right? Yes. So that, yes. that kind of puts a, a different – I mean, it's the kind of win it has people asking, and I, I kind of pondered this a little bit in my day after story. Like, it's their biggest regular season win since what? Because it's – like, it's it's in the pantheon, right? Like, it's in, it's instantly kind of on that Rushmore of, like, you know, big-time regular season wins that people kind of reminisce about. Like, I've seen people throw out the whammy in Miami – um, the the game that for me that came to mind was the 2002 Apple Cup in Pullman, the triple overtime backwards pass game. Backwards pa- ass. <laughs> uh, Isn't that how the ref pronounced it? The backwards pa- ass. Yeah, yeah, and then uh, and then Mike Price yelled at him. So it's bigger than the 2002 Apple Cup. It's. As big as the Friday night game against Stanford in 2016, that's the immediate sort of milepost that comes to me. Like that was, 
that was a primetime game against one of the other conference heavyweights. It was a beautiful evening at, at Husky Stadium. It was a really, really strong performance in what was sort of a a, a really I like that's that's one of the better years in Husky history. Um, going to the college football playoff that year, and that was that was the dominant game, and you knew like it had the. Is it's not just the significance of the outcome, right? It it's the build up to it, like where you know that it's going to that the game against Oregon, where you're like, okay, if you win this game, it's a statement game or it's a benchmark game. Like that's what that game against Stanford was. That Washington, they might have even been favored in that game against Stanford. It was they weren't the underdog that they were in this one. So maybe in terms of being an underdog and pulling it out the way that Washington did. Maybe it does go to that 2002 Apple Cup. See, the whammy of Miami is a pretty good one, too. Because, I mean, people, Miami had been so dominant for so long. And that was, that was a really good Washington team, but they were on year two of probation at yeah. that point. Um, but that ending, and, and it kind of came out of nowhere. Nobody expected that Washington team to end that streak. Um, and they did. Yeah, or... Sark's first win over USC. That was a big one too. Right? Like Folk with the kick to win that one. It's his third People game. People coming out of the crowd. Jake's mom mentor. kissing him. Yeah. Yeah. And it's kind of Washington's back from the ashes of 0-12. That USC team turned out to be not quite that good. No. It um, wasn't that great. And that was Pete's last year. See That's probably it though, Christian. Yeah. Like it's probably it's probably that game against it's probably that game. It's a coach's first year. That was Sark's first year. This is DeBoer's first year. That's that's probably the game. That's 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 the benchmark. Stanford biggest upset since they they tipped over USC. Yeah, I'm trying to remember the the point spread in that game. It had to have been massive. Um, the Stanford game in 2016 was this seminal moment, right? It was mm-hmm. a ch- it was a changing of the guard. You already kind of suspected going in that Washington was a better team, um, and they. They proved it, right? They won 44 to 6, completely dominated. It was like, okay, like year three, Chris Peterson, this this is it. He's got it now. This is this is the the class of the Pac 12 right now. Um Oregon was ranked sixth in the country and had legitimate CFP hopes. You know, nine games into this season. And you go on the road, you you add in the rivalry to it. The fact that it is Kalen DeBoer's first year. We talked last week that the Oregon State game was his best win, right? That was his, like, if you could say that there, if you had to say there was a signature moment from his first nine games, it was it was gutting out that win against Oregon State. The Michigan State game, you know, is, is up there for other reasons. It was kind of kind of similar to Stanford a little bit where, okay, Washington, you know, Washington's, you know, kind of back from the ashes. They're for real a little bit, but then Michigan State faded, and maybe that doesn't mean as much. Um, but as far as going on the road, beating a team that, that you know, everybody legitimately knows is very good. Like that is a top 10 caliber team for sure. Um, and to, you know, to, to lead at halftime, they, they, they didn't trail for much of that game. Uh, don't know how many more games they'll ever win, giving up 592 yards and failing to force a punt. Dude, somebody was Mitch Levy. I was on his podcast this morning, and he was like, "How about the run defense?" I was like, "You make that sound like the pass defense was good." <laughs> like, I, I, I don't. At least they had to run more plays when they were running through Washington's 
defense than when they threw over the top of it. And Oregon missed at least one. I flat out like the guy was open deep and and Bo Nix just just underthrew him. Yeah, like, that was a touchdown. He was, he was flat. Yeah, it it was a touchdown. Um, so yeah, I don't, you're not you're not going to win two. Do you think Oregon still has a shot at the college football playoff? No, 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 no. They're done. <laughs> they are done. You know, so it, it that raises an interesting point though. I think USC still oh. has a shot, and if USC gets in, the Rose Bowl has to take a Pac-12 replacement team, and depending on who in that scenario USC beats in the Pac-12 championship game, we'll assume for now that it won't be Washington. Um, Washington, if they take care of business these next two weeks at 10-2, and two, I think would be a pretty attractive option as a replacement team. And could, you know, even if, if no Pac-12 team makes the playoff, they could end up a at least an option for a, a New Year's Six at-large game otherwise. So, it, I mean, this, this win, you know, I, I didn't really even bother to think about what it opened, you know, what it would open up if they got it done. I just, it seemed pretty unlikely. Um, but it, it opens up the possibility of a new year six appearance. The Rose bowl is not off the table. Um, it wouldn't happen as a conference champion. I think the permutations needed for them to get into the championship game are, are way too much of a long shot at this point. Um, but this team could win 11 games reasonably in their bowl game. It's going to be tough for them to win their bowl game. The, the bowl game they're going to get in at ten and two is going to be tough for them to win. It will. Like, this is I, I like I get everything that you're saying and and I and I, I I agree with like all of it. But this is a flawed Washington team, right? Like of all of the different yes. things that have that have come out, like this is it has been an extraordinarily successful season. That was a incredibly satisfying win, and to trip up Oregon was fantastic. But in no way does this make me feel like, boy, I've misjudged how good this Washington team is. Like this is a a Washington team with an incredible quarterback, a really good offense, and a profoundly flawed defense. That's they 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 shouldn't be better than their record is. Like it's not you go back and like, oh, if this de-, like they <laughs> they're they they are more than fortunate to be eight and two given 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 how this defense is played. So there's part of me that's like, oh yeah, that'd be awesome if they go to the Rose Bowl. <laughs> and there's another part of like, yeah, they're probably gonna fare worse this time at the Rose Bowl than they did last time when they played Ohio State and kind of got their clock cleaned. Yeah. And uh, and it's it's interesting, like I still think Oregon has a lot of talent defensively, but all of the issues that you could have deduced from their statistics showed up in this game, right? The, the biggest being third down. Um, Washington, you know, the the it, it kind of probably fades a little bit because of the fourth quarter, but, I mean, how big was, was Penix's scramble on third and 14 on their first drive? I think that completely changed the game. Um, there was another, I think he had a third and 10, a couple third and 10 completions they hit. The touchdown to Taj Davis was uh, was on third and seven, and I think it's it's interesting. Ryan Grubb um, mentioned on Monday that he showed the the team afterward that the ESPN win probability right before that snap. I think after they'd completed, the, I think it was a like a short pass to Cam Davis on second down, uh, was like ninety two point something percent for Oregon, and he said. You know, he showed it to them not as like a show of, oh, like, look at these odds that we overcame, but just to show them like, hey, you know, it, it didn't feel that way on the sideline, right? Like, and, and I happen to be standing down there for 
the last five minutes of the game, all the way from from you know the third and five draw by Bo Nix that that Alex Cook made the play on through the rest of the game, and like it really did seem like Washington just felt like it was going to win that game. Like it, like once Oregon had to settle for a field goal and settle for taking a seven point lead instead of a, a two score lead, which it looked for all the world like they were going to. I think Washington really felt like that was a major win. They had more than enough time. Oregon hadn't stopped them really all game. And I think I think they had every confidence they were going to go down and score a, t- a touchdown on that possession. It was pretty remarkable. What? How big a screw up was Dan Lanning? You know that. So it's fourth and one, and Bo Nix. Like, so you're down on the field at that point, but you very clearly see Bo Nix. He's begging up to go back right in. next. Right, and he's jumping up and down, and he wants to go back in. And then they run the play. It's a hard... And so I said, how big did he screw up? Like, it's not... I don't believe in in sort of, like, slagging a guy because he didn't make the right instantaneous reaction in that in that scenario, right? Because he's being presented with new information, and what he decided to do was, no, the play's already... Like, the the dominoes are falling. Like, I'm, I'm not stopping the, ch- the chain reaction here. Which is understandable. But in retrospect, I was like, also, he should have called a timeout. Like, there's no, there's no real reason not to, not to call a timeout at that point because of, because of the value. You don't need to save your timeout there. Like, coming up with a better play is the much, is the much better, at least to the very finding out whether or not he can actually play. If he erred, it was in not calling a timeout. I, yeah. I want to go for it there. Um, mm-hmm. on fourth and one, you know, if, if I'm Oregon, I'm looking at this, like we have absolutely blown the doors off these guys running the ball all game. We just marched it 20 plays, you know, down to their 10 yard line. They knew we were going to do it and they couldn't stop us. We've run for over 300 yards. It's fourth and one, fourth and one. Like, do I think we can get a yard here versus giving the ball back to Michael Penix jr. In a tie game? Like I, I want to go for that 10 times out of 10. I know he took some heat for it. Uh, I would not trust my defense in that scenario. And I, the flip side of that as well, you know, you just you just put them backed up at their own thirty, you know, at at your thirty four yard line. You know, is that is that a position you want to put a defense in that you don't have any faith can get a stop? But uh, yeah, I, I your your star quarterback who at least gives you like the threat of the run, right? Like you have to honor that he might keep it in that scenario. Where you God, can't, yeah, you, you expect him to keep it, right? Yeah. Whereas with Ty Thompson, you can, you know, clearly they don't want they don't want him making a decisive play in this game. He came in, ran four plays, turned and handed the ball to to the running back on all four of them. Yep. So, and I, I think he's mobile and can hurt you, but it just it was very obvious they were not going to put the ball in his hands. Whereas, yeah, if you call a timeout and get Nick's out there, even if he's still a little dinged and maybe you don't call the play for him, like you have to respect that, and you can't just load the box and. You know, maybe maybe Ulafosio doesn't shoot that gap so aggressively and and cause the cut that I think caused the slip. Um, yeah, that pl- that play was that that did not fail because of the slip. Like the slip, and I, I saw your story about this, where basically, I mean, Ulafosio wrecked that play. Yeah, I think so. And and like, I you know, Chuck Morrell, their co-defensive coordinator, he basically said the same thing. Like, yeah, that guy wasn't going anywhere. You know, Eddie was in the gap. That was why he he kind of tr- started to change direction. I think they had a couple D linemen who had penetrated too. I did see some Oregon fans, I think fairly enough, point out that, well, 
how many how many broken tackles were there in this game? Like you're really like you're you're absolutely confident that they would have wrapped it up and like I think they would have hit him behind the line of scrimmage for sure. They would have got hands on him. Um, but in this game, you know, I I do I I think they had that. I think they had it sniffed out, and you know, it wasn't like a it wasn't a totally accidental slip. Like he I think he's he was surprised to see Ulafosio there and tried to cut, and that was what that was what led to the to the slip down. But yeah, I, I, I would mean, like to res- I would like to respond to those Oregon fans who think that it was you're you're totally right. Like if he slip, he's probably going for seven there, and you guys are probably going to go and and make the college football playoff. Like that was going to be a defining moment. It might have even been the biggest play in the school streets, Kenny Wheaton. But unfortunately, he slipped, and you guys lost. <laughs> you just wanted to get a fart noise in. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I do like that. It's one of my favorite gags. On, on the say who say pod. <laughs> um, were you, uh, did, did you, did you watch this one by yourself? Like what was, what was the, the scene inside your apartment like on, on Saturday night? So it was by myself. Um, and there was at about halftime when I, is when the actual cheering started. Um, it's, it's not super late. Kickoff was, was seven thirty Eastern. Um, but, halftime sort of some of the loud hand clapping started um my wife uh observed to me that apparently i did care about the outcome of this game and that i did i i was i was actually hoping for a washington victory the our former dog uh we had a, a sharpe rescue from uh korea named peach and she did not like peach did not like husky games because of the loud clapping like she would go in a different room when 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 the University of Washington was playing. Like it wasn't Seahawks games; it was it was Washington games. Uh, our current Sharpay Simba, who comes from Texas, seems much more um, much more at ease. Like he's generally annoyed to have been woken up by loud clapping, but but he accepted it more. Um, and it was yeah, I it was it was one of the most enjoyable Husky games that I've seen in the past ten years. So while we're on the topic of you know where does this game fit among the the best ever i feel like this it's it's a similar discussion for michael penix's performance right like i, I think everyone knew he was having this great year he was such a a value add for them such a huge acquisition in the portal he totally changed this team's fortunes and it was obvious early on that like you know forget about the injuries yes they're they're getting a very good veteran version of of michael penix junior the very best version of michael penix junior that anybody has seen but I feel like throwing for 408 yards and the big touchdown to Taj Davis in you know, a win at Oregon kind of elevates him to another level. And I was trying to think, like, you put him on Rushmore, the, Christian. What, you put him on Rushmore. I yeah, I think that I think that's only fair. I mean, you look at the numbers. You look at now he's got like the you know big time signature win. I it, it's only one season. That's what makes the comparison tough. He didn't spend a whole career there, but. I mean, did, where do you, where do you kind of put him? It's it's he's kind of in his own category as a one year guy. He he is. So if, when you're listing, so is it best? It's best season, right? Like that's the only way to compare him to other quarterbacks because top career it becomes much harder because he only has the one year. Do you evaluate it? Is it is it best season? Is he putting together one of the best seasons we've seen from a Husky quarterback? Or do we say is it is it best quarterback? This these these questions become so hard. I mean, I I would say yeah, like best individual season by a quarterback. But then also like you can project it out, right? Like if you know 
it, it's hard to say like oh if, if they'd had him as a freshman and he played his whole career like would he have put together one of the best careers ever because he had the injury stuff and who knows if that crops up or not but like I just in terms of the very best college quarterbacks who have played at the University of Washington doesn't he have to be in the conversation yes but <laughs> is he better than Billy Joe than Warren Moon it's it's see it's so hard to compare because statistically, st- yeah. statistically, yes, but the game has changed so much that it's not even it's not even worth comparing then to now. This is the best season from a Husky quarterback that I've seen since Marcus Tuiasosopo in in two thousand. Right, like that's I I feel pretty confident in, in in saying that. Like it's better than any season we saw from Jake Locker or Isaiah Stanback. Keith Price was really good and and I think I think underrated. Jake Browning had a great sophomore season, but I'm not sure that Jake Browning was John Ross was the best player on that offense in my mind. Mm-hmm. And and while Romo Dunze has like this is quarter this is quarterback driven in a way that that season wasn't. Like it, I that's that's the best way for me to say it. So if if I was going to say like if if we draw the line at post Don James and we can we can tackle the Don James era and before that in a second I would say that it goes Marcus Tuiasosopo Michael Penix and then and then 2016 Jake Browning as best seasons I've seen from a Husky quarterback and and then after that Brock's Brock Heward's Brock Heward's sophomore season was pretty freaking dominant. Like, he was really good, but they didn't have as much success, and they kind of underachieved that year. But but I might say that that's, that that's next, and then followed by, followed by Cody Pickett, probably. Cody Pickett, like 2002? Yeah, I mean, that's the school record. Yeah. You know, 4,400 yards or whatever. But he did have Reggie is, Williams. Pickett, yeah, exactly. That's what I was just going to say. Is like Pickett wasn't the best player on that offense, though. Husky legend this week, by the way. Reggie? He is. No kidding. Have you talked to Reggie recently? I have, actually. How's he doing? He seems to be doing well. He's uh, He calls himself a, a house husband. Um, he, he's got three boys who are... You play like every sport you can think of, and so he's he's shuttling them around to basketball tournaments and football, and I think one of them does karate, and I think maybe a couple of them play baseball, and so he's 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 uh, he's enjoying doing the dad thing. I, yeah, I talked to him for a, a story maybe a few months ago. Um, does he live in Florida? For, uh, Houston. He lives in Houston. He's yeah. a hell of a he. That dude was such an incredible college football player like just unbelievable and what a grown-ass man he was as a freshman it's it was amazing kind of hearing some of the stories from like his high school coach dave miller at lakes high school his high school coach and then a couple of his high school teammates of just how like i think he had a lot of people don't realize how good he was as a safety Mm -hmm. in high school i think he had eight interceptions his senior year yeah and dave miller was like yeah I think there was one game where they they had to bring the ambulance out like two or three times because he broke kids' collarbones just like coming down this six four hundred and ninety pound safety just flying down and run support and like he he liked playing defense like he was he was invested in it you know 
So yeah. that would have been that would have been a sight to see that guy playing on the other side of the ball too. And they, I, they, I was reminded um, they threw him back there at like a deep safety in a couple like hail mary type packages during oh, really? his career. And, yeah, and they did that with Romo Dunze on. Uh, I saw that on Saturday on the yeah. last play he was out there. Yeah, yeah. So with Penix, I don't know, man. Like. If you ask me the best quarterback in Husky history is Billy Joe Hobart. <laughs> I know that people don't like that, but like... Yeah, when you don't lose a game... That, he never that lost! Uh... <laughs> he never freaking lost and he wore a linebacker collar. Like he wore a cowboy collar as a quarterback. Uh, yeah, you can't discount that. And I know that people have some strong feelings about him because of the Trans Am that he got from the rocket scientist in Idaho and all of those things, but I, Billy Joe... Billy Joe's a badass. Um, and Sonny Six Killer like is is not to be and Warren Moon like there's there's been some really good quarterbacks. This is this is an incredible season though. And you you mentioned the touchdown throw to Taj Davis. That that was that was his best throw of the season. And when it left his hand, I was like screaming in pain because I everything that I know about the game of football told me that that safety was going to get there before that ball got to the sideline. Like that the mm-hmm. angle, the angle looked wrong, and he put enough mustard on it that he zipped it there. It was it was a pretty incredible throw. So I was on the sideline. I was I was standing next to Washington's sideline on that play, and he I saw him let the ball go, and you know I was I was screened from being able to see Taj Davis by the you know the players on the sideline, but the way he released it, I mean, he just he dropped and he threw it with such confidence and conviction that I thought, oh, he he must have a guy. There must be a guy open down here. And then he he caught it and and zip. You know, I saw I saw Bennett Williams, the defender, fly past and and Davis run up the sideline and was like, oh yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah, Where'd he who go? <laughs> it was unbelievable. Um, that was a hell of a throw in a game with a lot of pretty good throws. Like that was that was a cut above, and it was. It took guts too, right? Like that. That takes some, like, and it's not a. It's not one of the like I, I call them the effort throws where they're like, okay, I got to make something happen. But that was there was conviction behind that pass. Uh, Taj Davis wasn't supposed to get the ball there either. Like uh, Ryan Grubb kind of laid it out. Like he's running an alert route, which is if you see a very specific coverage, then you go to him. But that that's not the primary read, and you know, Penix. So I. I pulled up like eleven of his best throws this year um, on video yesterday, and he was he was kind enough to narrate each of them for me for a story. And he said, and he said this after the game too, like he saw the corner basically play like a flat technique or a, a cover two technique. He he saw that that corner was not going to run with Taj Davis, and so he knew, okay, well, what's the nickel over here? Because I I think like. I'm not super familiar with Oregon's defensive terminology. I think they call Bennett Williams a nickel, but he might be more of like a nickel safety than a nickel corner. Um, regardless, he's the he's the player who's got responsibility for Taj Davis there. And I, I asked him, I said, were you concerned making that throw from the far hash that you're going to get it there in front of him? Because I watched the replay and I kind of thought like, oh, he could have got a hand on it. Or, man, he really fit like... I don't know that, that he played that right. Like, it looked like he was in the vicinity to make a play. And Penix was like, nah, see... You know, go back, watch it again. He's like, I don't know if you can see on the TV copy, but you can, can you see him backpedal? Like, watch, like, if you do, if you watch the replay of it, you can see him start to backpedal a little bit as the route is developing. And he said, as soon as he saw him backpedal, that's when he knew he could make the throw because he would have to break and he wasn't moving the right way in the direction of the ball. 
So it was a very, I don't know that a younger player makes that read. Like it was a very like savvy kind of veteran recognition to see, you know, okay, like the, the corners staying home. Yeah. I don't know that that guy's going to get there. I'm going to let it rip, but regardless, I don't know how many quarterbacks they've ever had who can make that throw just in terms of like sheer arm strength. Yeah. He, he put some mustard on it. Like it was, it, it, it was, it was an absolutely great, great play. Did you get any clarity on why Bo Nix was like, looked like he was staring at, at Alex Cook after that stop um, on the, on the quarterback sneak in the fourth quarter? I didn't. I, it sure seemed like he was not happy about the way he hit him. It looked like he took his helmet to the knee. Yeah. Um, so but it must, I must, I assumed it must have just been that because he immediately, yeah, kind of looked up at him like, what the hell, man? <laughs> yeah, but then I was like, well, dude, I mean, A, you can't you can't run your quarterback off tackle and then complain about the way he gets stopped, especially given the way the Pac-12, like the way college football calls targeting. And I was I was also like, aren't, aren't you the big stud hoss that's like flexing after hits? And then there were there were, there were Oregon fans that were upset about it, which I, I found I found mildly amusing. Um, I thought that was a great play by Alex in clearly like that was something that they expected to happen and he was there pretty much to prevent exactly what happened and he he pulled the trigger and absolutely lowered the boom yeah i don't know that it occurred to me until i did see like you said some of the reaction of people saying it was a dirty hit i don't know that it occurred to me that 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 would have been like improper i don't know what else he should have done no there's there's nothing (laughs) out of the way but like he's 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 trying not to commit a targeting penalty i think correct yes um, but the, the overall, I, I, I probably just have a, I don't like quarterbacks. Like, I feel like a quarterback, once you declare yourself as a runner, like different rules apply and quarterbacks like to think that they're transformers that are able to like give special protections no matter where they are. Like, okay, I'm going to run and be this really tough off tackle runner. Cause Bo, Dun- Bo Nix is he's a really effective rushing threat, obviously. And then it's like, oh, but you can't hit him too hard because he's a quarterback. I'm like, no, 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 no. He's 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 declared he's declared he's a certain way. He's he's like a bicycler that's in 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 the traffic lane, right? You're like, no, you don't. You have to follow the traffic rules now. You don't get special bike provisions. Uh, it was a good play by Cook. I so that I I was making my way down through the tunnel to get down there for that play. Fortunately, I think there were back to back timeouts that helped me not miss anything very fortuitous um it some some people had said on replay that maybe it looked like they were trying to they were trying to bait them into a quarterback draw like by giving them the same look that he'd scored the touchdown on earlier oh interesting i don't know watching it again that that was the case it seemed like cook just recognized it and and thought like okay this is you know this is what they're doing i'm just i'm gonna give it everything into this gap here he's fairly deep like he's moving when the snap happens and he comes charging forward. It's possible because he's he's fairly deep. He was he was certainly lined up. It's it's pretty sh- short on the field to be a, like a true too high safety look there, but he's he's pretty deep. So it th- that's that is possible that they were they were trying to lure him for it. Like, but it was very clear. Like Cook came forward in exactly that way to stop exactly the play that they ended up running, and then. Uh, unlike many other plays in the game, he actually made the tackle. I was going to say how you, I would not have believed for most points of that game that very little of the post game discussion would center on Washington's tackling. Yeah. 
because they you know you win the game and you do it in thrilling fashion and it, it you know you, you forget about some things pff had them with 19 missed tackles it was uh, it, which is kind of a lot yeah it was brutal um and i want to give credit to oregon like oregon oregon ran incredibly physically like that was i'm not gonna washington tackled poorly but oregon oregon ran the ball exceptionally well like oregon was the much more physical team running the ball and it wasn't particularly close i think it underscored too and i don't mean to malign washington's running backs i think they've they've made some plays and and have mostly kind of handled what's been asked of them it did kind of underscore that like the the one thing that this offense lacks is a really dynamic back who can make people miss and who you know when the when the first guy arrives you don't necessarily expect him to make the play cuz that's how it, i mean anytime bucky irving or or noah whittington touched the ball you you just expected them to make the first guy miss whether that was behind the line of scrimmage or 5 yards past the line of scrimmage like you know they washington could have got off the field probably a couple different times if, if they had just like finished tackles on running backs. So it's, it's second and nine instead of second and two, or I think there were a couple instances, I think maybe even on their later drives where they had a chance to tackle someone in the open field and, and just couldn't do it. And I don't, I, I just don't think you've seen a lot of that from Washington's backs this year. So it was, it was kind of a, a pretty striking contrast. Is, is Richard Newton hurt again? I don't think so. He play. What did he get a snap in this game? I think he. I think we saw him. Um, I, I, did I know not Grub. Remember. I mean, Grub still. Grub's very direct, and and he's he's been pretty high on him when asked. That like he's no, he's still in there. They still like him. I think. I think there's some pass protection stuff. They just like they trust Talapapa a little bit more. Yeah, which is understandable. Um, but and it sure seems like he could solve some of their short yardage issues. Yeah, I I I thought Cam Davis has been a pretty physical runner. And, and Talapapa has been has been effective, so it's not like. But yeah, I think you're. I, I think you're right. Bucky Irving, Bucky Irving was really impressive, um, and and Oregon did have, did have a more dynamic run game. It was more physical, and and you saw it had, it's just a lot more effective, and that was complemented by the fact that it appeared that at any time they wanted to go down the field, they could do that too. Um, the fact that Washington held them to what they did in the first half gave them a shot in the second half to to be able to sort of win it. I I honestly I thought they were going to have to score 40 to win it going into the game and they they almost did, but it was a it was a they were fortunate in the first half and then sort of survived a bunch of haymakers in the second. Did you see Chris Peterson pick them to win on the pregame show? I did. Yeah. He That's, almost he was real close with the score too. It's Pete's So it's funny to watch him in this iteration of college football sort of enthusiast because he's got a very clear perspective that he wants to bring. Um, it's not like urban Meyer, like urban Meyer is kind of this smug. Here's what it's going to be like pelts on the wall type of voice in the, in the big Fox show. And Chris Peterson is, and I think this reflects his overall sort of perspective on the game like he's really enthusiastic about the teams and what the coaches are trying to accomplish and getting guys to believe in it and and he he clearly really likes what he's seeing from Washington um not just in the hey that's the school I feel a great deal of affection toward like he he's generally enthused by what DeBoer is is putting together so it's fun it's fun to see that and then that's contrast like this week he was on with Emmanuel Acho who 
drives me up a wall. Like it makes me want to slam my hand in a car door because (laughs) it's, it's like there's a challenge for him to say like the most simple thing in the most enthusiastic verbose way possible, which just drives me up a wall. But, um, you could tell coach, coach Pete was into it. Like, and he was, he was into that and felt, he felt really good about their chances in the in the second half. Like he liked, he did. He liked how Washington played that game. I think he really likes what they're doing offensively. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just seems. I'm sure he cringes watching them play defensively, considering how good they were on that side of the ball when he coached. But I know I've I know I've brought this up before, not to beat a dead horse, but I do. I wonder if he sees this offense and thinks like, man, I, you know, I wonder, I wonder if I could have pulled something like this off, you know, post post Jake Browning or later in Jake Browning's career when they kind of struggled a little bit different personnel and and different dynamics at play there I know but um, it is it's it is interesting to watch him watch this team and this season it it is kind of like you know if if you took someone back to November 30th 2019 and and gave them a fast forward to that Oregon game and Chris Peterson's in the studio and Kalen DeBoer and and Michael Penix are are wearing purple and be like what yeah. By the way, like it, what what a what a new era game this was. Bo Nix, Noah Whittington, and Bucky Irving, Oregon's three most impactful players in this game, all transfers. Michael Penix Jr. transfer. Yeah. So this is a it's it, it's not a not a homegrown rivalry anymore. But I I think uh, I don't think it diminishes the product at all. You know what? And I'll I'll say that I I've clearly been very much into this rivalry and loathing Oregon. This game felt more healthy than it's been in you know i i would agree i noticed that it didn't the the weekly the build-up during the week did not seem as like toxic yeah (laughs) at least on social media and stuff as it usually does yeah and there there can be there was there was and there was one point where it was bucky irving kind of got knocked out of bounds and it was it wasn't a borderline hit but he was he was running hard and he kind of got knocked into the sideline and there was the UW player that kind of kind of helped him up and like kind of made sure he was okay. And it occurred to me that I, I liked seeing that. Um, and I'm, I'm not going to pretend that I'm better than petty stuff. Cause I'm incredibly petty and don't like Oregon, but I, <laughs> I did, I did feel overall that it was, there's been times it has, the rivalry has veered into being toxic and it, I, I think it was in a much, much healthier place that I want to go back to what you said about Chris Peterson, because by the end with Peterson, by the end with Peterson, I felt they were doing too much. Like I felt that they had too much pre-snap. I felt that they moved things around too much, that they didn't just get the ball to their best players in space like they needed to. And I, I, one of the things I was looking forward to when Jimmy Lake took over was I believed he was going to streamline some of that stuff and that they were going to be a more direct and even the run the damn ball. Oh, he streamlined it. Yeah. Like all of those, but I like, I I don't want to be sort of the the captain hindsight that says like, Oh, I was worried about that. Cause I was, there was, I thought there were some benefits to that. And I believed that Jake Browning clearly stopped progressing within the offense. And there was some of me that, that really felt that the complexity of it and the, the amount that they did, especially before the snap was, was at a detriment to him. And, and I have a much different view of that now. And it's probably similar to how I see some of the Seahawks offense with Geno Smith, 
where things that I assumed were happening because of coaching were actually more reflections of personnel. And and I that when when you said that you wonder Chris Peterson wonders what he could do with this sort of group. I, I, I think that's a really good sort of observation or question because it's clear DeBoer has an understanding of how to make space and get guys open and that he has a quarterback who understands how to see that and is and is taking full advantage of that. And and I could see that being a glimmer in Chris Peterson's eyes is like, oh, what would it be like if I if I had somebody that was capable of doing that? Um, it's an interesting thought. And also that Romo Dunze and Jalen McMillan were his last two big receiver commits. Yeah. And they were in that 2020 class and they were both, you know, this, this is exactly what people thought they were, they were going to be, you know, like, I don't know in terms of projecting statistics or whatever, but like those were both big time gets and people were very, very, very excited about both of those guys. And now they're, they're playing at the level that people were really hopeful for. So I, I think that's another thing. He probably watches those guys and is like, yep, that's, that's exactly why we were so excited to to get that guy's commitment. We haven't even talked about McMillan's catch. Well, what a what a game he had overall. Good Lord. And that I mean Justin Jefferson catch on Sunday has stolen a lot of the attention cuz it but Jalen McMillan, I mean he flat out took that ball back. Like that was that was a grown man play. Like unbelievably strong in in, in the air to to wrench that ball away. And against like maybe the best corner in the conference, yeah, who made a great play. He yeah. made a great play on that. I mean, he he came over like that was a, I thought a pretty good throw. You know, he's got one on one coverage with Jalen McMillan. He's going to throw that every time. Um, Gonzalez did a great job coming over the top. I thought for sure that was intercepted. And yeah, I mean, I I think it, you, the offense last year had all sorts of problems. But like the biggest criticism of the receivers was that they didn't fight for the ball enough while it was in the air. I think there were some balls that got picked off, um, some balls that were catchable that maybe they gave up on. They didn't go after 100%. This was the the absolute antithesis of that, right? Like this is a guy who is just he's he's totally locked in. He's going to battle for the ball till the very last second no matter what. And you know, that was another spot I was a little bit surprised Dan Lanning didn't call timeout so that they couldn't get up to the line yep. and and avoid a replay. He was asked about that afterward and did say you know, uh, he thought the result probably would have been the same. It wouldn't have been worth it that, you know, if there's any question that it's simultaneous possession, it's it's going to go to the offense. I think he's probably right. You know, I think they the, – uh, was it Dean Blandino, the rules the rules guy they had on the broadcast? Um, I mean, he said he was surprised that they didn't buzz to stop it, which I, I agree with. I don't know that it would have got overturned. Yeah, I, I agree with all of that assessment, that I was – really rooting for them to get the playoff because I didn't want them to look at it because it seemed unlikely to me that McMillan had been able to wrest control away before before Gonzalez was down. Yet, when you looked at it on the replay, oh, wait, that wasn't Gonzalez, was it? No, it was. Oh, it was Gonzalez. That when you, then when you actually saw the replay, I was like, eh, he did. Like I, I, I think it, I think it would have stood, but in real time, I was very thankful that the ball got got snapped off. Yeah, Jalen McMillan was awesome. So, uh, have you seen Hot Tub Time Machine? 
<laughs> yeah. Wyman used to make fun of me because I would constantly reference that. Like it was one of my, really? <laughs> my yeah, my go-to jokes where I would be like, they would, Perfect. the Seahawks would hire somebody that was, or sign somebody that was like old and past his prime. And I was like, man, we got hot tub time machine. Let's get this fired up. And he was like, <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen the movie and that joke. I'm sick of it. <laughs> well, this is right up your alley then. You know, the scene where Rob Corddry b- makes a, a wager on the outcome of a, a, a sporting event that's on the television, knowing in the future he, he knows what happens, so he bets on it, but it turns out that they, they did something to alter the future and, and the opposite happens. I think it was supposed to I think it was a big NFL playoff game and there was a fumble. He knew he knew there was gonna be a fumble uh, and it turned out that it, it didn't happen. He loses the bet. You know what I'm talking about? Yes, I do. Yes, hundred percent. To me, uh, the Penix throw to Taj Davis, it's it's kind of like the uh, the alternate universe metaverse outcome of the pick a little bit, <laughs> where, like you mentioned, as soon as he threw that, you were like, oh no, there's no way he fits that in front of the safety. The safety should pick that off, but he he beats him there and he makes the play. So it's kind of like, uh, you know, if if uh, I don't it, remember who the receiver it, Dave was, Dave I believe, yeah. So it's like the the hot tub time machine version of that pass gets completed and it's a touchdown and Washington wins that game. They just had to wait uh, 28 years for it. God, it would be amazing to think about if I never, like if Kenny Wheaton, like somebody, and I was like, who? I have no idea what you're talking about. I have no idea who that person is instead of Kenny Wheaton, which is shorthand for like the most painful sports reality you've experienced. Um that's really what that, that's a meme, right? Like an image that conveys like a complex thought or reality, like instantaneously. Kenny Wheaton is a meme for me of pain. <laughs> you know who else I thought of on that play is uh, Corey Williams. Oh. He had the game winning catch in the 2003 Apple Cup. You know, he wasn't Reggie Williams was the big name on yeah. that on that team. You know, Corey. I don't know how many people even really knew who Corey Williams was. Uh, it turned out that he. He he didn't end up playing much of a role after that either, but like he he'll always kind of have that moment. I'm not saying Taj Davis is is not going to have a, a a good career. I think he's a good player, but you know he played eight snaps. He's not one of the big names on this offense, even though I think they you know they do know that he's talented and he's a playmaker. Um, and, and that's his only target in the whole game. And he you know, he makes makes a, a 62 yard catch for a touchdown. So it's just like it's one of those cool college football things where like forever you say Taj Davis. Like yes. Husky fans are going to know who that is. Yes. They're, they're going to have this one memory of him. Should we play that like every, every before every game is the Taj Davis catch? Like, and it'll think... become, and then we'll fire up and get a Disney character to ride a motorcycle to center field to, to the middle, <laughs> the mid part of the field. Like, oh no, we shouldn't because we actually have some, uh, s- some, some actual history to fall back on. Uh, can I share with you the most hilarious piece of trash talk that I got post game? <laughs> Please do. Yeah. Uh, I got this is from a person named Chris Stone, who I'm I'm not familiar with. Um, it appears that he had uh, direct messaged me in the past. Um, he he sent me a message that said, you tied for a national championship. This is at 12.06 a.m. Eastern. My response, what? And then his response, 1991. My response, why are you DMing me that? Just a reminder to Husky fans. Good day, sir. 
And then I responded with, what year did Oregon tie for a national championship? Like, it was the worst trash talk I've ever seen in my life. Like, it was it was truly, truly hilarious. Like, I, of all the different places you can go, like, you, you can't go. Imagine having the wealth of ammunition at your disposal that you do as a Duck fan and just deciding to go with that. <laughs> it is kind of funny, though, just the simplicity of it. Yeah. yeah, just the one the one sentence. Yeah, I respect it. It's maybe that's reflective of the academically proud. Oh no, we can't go there yet. Like we, mm, we still, yeah, that's mean. It's yeah, that's that's unfortunate. Peyton Henry, Peyton Henry bookends right. Gonna, he gets a little gonna, bit of redemption. Are you going to give props to a kicker? Sure. Yes. Big kick. Good for him. I was very very satisfied and happy. Even though I think his pants are like. I don't like the above the knees pants that he wears, but he's been a really good kicker this year. I thought about that bef- before the season. Uh, I was doing, I was doing like my game by game picks or something, and I thought, you know, this is college football has this batch of five year starters now because of the pandemic, and he's one of them. He this is his fifth year as their starting kicker, and his first year was the the big miss at Autzen in twenty eighteen, and I kind of thought like that'd be kind of you know he hasn't been back since. Like he's going to play in Eugene in year one and year five. And that'd be kind of, you know, that'd be a fun little poetic moment if he got a chance for a, a game winning field goal there. And it, you know, wasn't, wasn't at the buzzer and, you know, didn't, it didn't have the draw. You know, they had still had to make a stop after that and everything, but uh, a cool moment for him. He said that, uh, that Chris Peterson texted him after just kind of congratulating him, um, which I thought was cool. I didn't, I didn't have the heart to ask if he apologized for not running like two or three more plays to get him closer in 2018, but <laughs> yeah, 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 that was a tough one, man. That one actually affected my vision. Like when he missed it, like my, my, my vision kind of went like, like where it went focused and then out of focus and then back into focus for a second. Like, I'm not sure if it was the pressure inside my head changing, but it was, yeah, that was a tough one. A uh, good week of picks for you. Four oh, really? Two. Yeah, you only missed uh, UCLA. Uh, what a terrible loss that was! Yeah, that was not good. What happened there? UCLA and then and then Lincoln Lincoln Riley covered on us in the last forty seconds. Yeah, they could have taken a knee, and they add a touchdown against little old Colorado. It's one of the to cover uh, the thirty four and a half. That's one of those where the um the the the, the rankings come back and bite you, right? Like, cause he was motivated to do that for appearances' sake. I don't know. I see. I feel like coaches would would are and he had all you know backups in. And I feel like coaches would argue like, well, like this is the only time that these guys get to play. You know, why should we tell them don't try to score or why you know why shouldn't they get to score a touchdown? And the answer would be because you're already up by multiple scores on a woebegone Colorado team, and it's mean. Yeah, I'm I'm of the (laughs) I'm of the opinion of if you score running between the tackles in that situation, fine. But if you're doing something outside of running between the tackles like you're you're doing too much i think it was a run between the t- yeah. tackles okay maybe he gets excused then well, they, they did i think attempt to pass on that drive but i always I, I, I feel when you attempt to pass like in those situations i want opposing coach cam like i in fact maybe that would be a thing of like when a team gets down by 20 in the final three minutes like the, the losing coach has to have a, t- a camera trained on him so we can judge whether or not he's getting mad at anything that's happening. Yeah. Yeah. And they, I, I did I give credit to Colorado's interim coach. He, he, you know, he rallied him up on the sideline and 
you know, gave they at least completed a couple passes in the last thirty seconds, made a run at it, but the backdoor cover was was not to be had. Um, Washington State with a uh, a potential revenge game, though I don't know who has more of the motivation for revenge, Wazoo or Jaden Delora. But they they visit Arizona an eleven a.m. kickoff on Pac twelve networks. Uh, Wazoo is only a four point favorite in this game, and it's on the road. I'm taking the Cougs though. I like the Cougs in this game. I am too. I think uh, I think Jaden Delora is really good, having a a good season. Um, I think this might be an instance where being a little too hyped up is is to his detriment. Um, and I think that combined with Wazoo's pass rush in front seven, you know, they can get after him. A lot of teams can get after him. The key is getting him on the ground and keeping him hemmed in. That's not so easy, but. I think if there's any defense that can do it, it's it's Wazoo. I, I like them covering the four, and I think that their offensive issues will magically vanish as they face Arizona's defense. Uh, the Beavers, fresh off a monster cover over Cal, they visit Arizona State as eight-point favorites. This is... It's the time of year where the is where you start to feel like, okay, that's the right spread, right? Like where you're like, that's tough. I'm going Oregon State. But I don't feel great about it. But I'm going Oregon State. I am too. Um, they were they were so dominant last week. ASU is kind of getting into that territory of like, are they going to show up with full yep. motivation and effort every week? Yep. And they kind of I mean, they could have got blown out. I give them credit. They could have got blown out in Pullman last weekend. Um, but they came back, put three touchdowns on the board. Uh, Thankfully, did not kick extra, you know, did not just take the the PATs after those. They went for two and failed on all three, so that Wazoo covered. Um, I, yeah, I like the Beavs. I think, they're, you know, they're still, they still have a lot to play for. Like, nine and three is on the table for them. Um, they got to feel like they can, they can get Oregon next week, at least have a chance. I don't know if that's a great matchup for them, but... You know they they're still playing for you know their their best season in a really 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 long time. Um, I think they're going to take care of business. Uh, what is the viewership going to be for this two thirty kickoff between Stanford and Cal <laughs> at FTX Field? I might add FTX Field, the California Memorial Stadium. Yeah, uh, it's the fortieth anniversary of the play, right? It is, yeah. This is this year statue. Uh, yeah, that's Dave Wyman's Dave Dave Wyman's favorite thing to talk about. Which of the many things that I love about Dave Wyman, uh, one of one toward the top of the list is that he does not find recollections about the play to be very amusing nor funny. Um, yeah, he's he's not. Well, it's just a it's a footnote if it happens today because replay would have overturned the the several uh, that's instances true. where. The ball should have been blown dead. Yeah, where it was actually yeah. tackled. They tackled the guy like three times. Um, yeah. Cal's a five-point favorite, by the way. I don't think I said that. Yeah, I'm going Cal. I I don't. I realize, like, I have this weird relationship with Stanford where I, I, don't, I don't loathe the program, but I don't like it at all, right? Like, usually, like, I don't, I really don't like USC. I obviously really don't like Oregon. But, like, Stanford is a sneaky, like, I don't like those guys. And there's not really a strong reason for it. I'm like, no, I'm not anti-nerd. Um, but, yeah, I really don't like it. Go Cal. I'm going to take Cal, too. I just think they're – I think they are the better of these two bad teams. They did just fire their offensive coordinator. I don't know if that's good or bad. Yeah. it's. I mean, it's, it's not bad that they fired the offensive coordinator who calls plays for this offense. But They got a uh, good running back. 
They do, yeah. And they got a, you know what? They got a really good receiver, J. Michael Sturdivant. That guy can play. Why can't they uh, get a quarterback there? Because like, that's actually know. been a position over the years that Cal's been okay at. Like, nobody's ever going to mistake Cal for having a good football program. But it, all in all, like, they, they've produced some really, I mean, first-round pick like Kyle Baller, Aaron Rodgers as, as a transfer there. But they've had, they've had good quarterbacks, Jeff, J- Jared Goff. And, like, they've basically not been able to find guys that can throw the ball recently. Yeah, it's strange. We'll see who Justin Wilcox gets in there at, at OC and you know maybe they got some connections they can they can plumb the portal. Um big game with Pac twelve championship implications. USC at UCLA. The battle most- of the, the Big Ten bound programs. The Trojans are favored by a point and a half. This is the most beautiful game you see on, on television each season. It is visually appealing, yes. It's fantastic. Go Bruins. I, I, you got I, the Bruins. Yeah, I, I, and I don't even care about like this is this is strictly for I don't like USC. <laughs> I don't like USC. Uh, I'm going to take USC. I, uh, I think their offense. You know, neither of these teams have defenses that inspire confidence. Nobody in the Pac-12 really does. Um, but I, I think, uh, I think the matchup of Caleb Williams against UCLA's defense is, you know, this this could be one of those like minimal punt games where you only see, like, one or two. So I think it'll be high scoring. Uh, the total on this one is 75 and a half. Yeah. So, you know what um, I just realized, too, Christian, is that going forward, like, my entire rooting, like, a, a mainstay of my rooting interest is going to be for USC and UCLA to be as cumulatively unappealing as possible by the time they leave. <laughs> so in this case, like, I'm rooting for UCLA because – adding that second loss to USC would detract from their overall attractiveness. Like having a 10 and one USC team with a three loss UCLA team is more appealing than having two, two loss teams, neither of whom is likely to or capable of qualifying for the playoff. That's true. Do you, do you think there's any chance by the way, that if, if SC, let's say they they win out, maybe they go to the playoff, maybe they go to the Rose bowl. Do you think there's any chance that the conference coaches vote Lincoln Riley coach of the year? No, no, I, I, they should, I mean, look, I'm, I, w- I wish that the conference was summarily hosing them in terms of officiating. I don't think any of them, any of those players should be selected all Pac-10 or all Pac-12 teams. Like, I think they should be treated as if they're, like, on probation and not, we don't acknowledge any of their achievements. I'm not saying I want that to happen, but if it did, it would, it would be kind of funny. Like would that, would the- that be what, what, what did Merton Hanks call it, shenanigans? I don't know that he called it that. He just he he was the one who said like you know they're not going to tolerate any they're not going to tolerate anybody you know slighting USC or UCLA and which is the right thing to do because you know, again the kids the players they didn't they didn't choose any of this but like if the Pac-12 rolled out an all conference team and like their coach of the year and stuff and there was just no no USC or UCLA players on it in a year where they were clearly two of the best teams in the conference like yeah, that'd be a that'd be a message yeah a, a message I would support. <laughs> My name is Danny O'Neill, and I approve this message. <laughs> Oregon is a three-point favorite at home against Utah. This is a very interesting game. Yeah. Oregon, I, Oregon's going to win the game. Yeah, I'm so going to take Oregon and give the points. I think it's a, I think it's a bounce-back game for them. I think they, you know, they still know that that they control. Yeah. I don't, I don't like to say destiny because you can't control destiny, Danny. No. Uh, What's going to happen to them? 
yeah, I, I think I think they'll bounce back and and take care of business there. Although that's you know we'll we'll see. Is it a totally different team, or is there something about Utah and Kyle Whittingham and that system that uh, that has their number? It's gonna be a physical game, man. Like Utah, you know that, and I'm, I'm I was I was impressed by the way that Oregon played, like both stopping the run and running the ball. Your five score Colorado spread of the week. Washington is a 31 point favorite against the Buffaloes. This is strictly for strategic purposes. I'm taking Colorado because I don't think Washington will cover. It's another tough one. Um, usually, you'd have a hard time seeing Washington cover such a huge spread because of their defense. Mm-hmm. But Colorado is so bad. <laughs> and by the way, what a what a brutal finish for them. They finish with with Oregon, USC, Washington, and Utah. Yeah, that is a gauntlet. Yeah, I, the, I mean the woodshed. They, they, they take the woodshed route. Yeah, the kind of kind of like you said. I mean, the the only way that this game is is within the point spread that Colorado even challenges covering is is if Washington just kind of kind of sleepwalks through and has a hangover from the big win and is maybe looking ahead, you know, getting caught in between Oregon and, and the Apple Cup. But um, I mean, I just. I just think Colorado is going to offer so little resistance defensively, and they just have so few weapons available offensively. The way that the way that Washington's offense has shown up each week and and kind of been locked in, and you know that side of the ball, it's not like they've been perfect every week, but they, I think they've avoided what you would call like a lull. Um, so I'll, I'll I'll give them the benefit of the doubt that they won't have one this week, and I will I will pick them to cover the thirty one. Have you seen your you've you've seen your last Husky game in person this year? Yeah, yeah. I was going to come out this week, um, kind of in advance because I go to Yosemite for Thanksgiving, but it didn't work out for a couple of different reasons. What about a bowl game? Yeah, if I, I've always said if they go to the Rose Bowl, um, I will always go to the Rose Bowl. There's you mentioned there's a slim outside chance of that. Um, it'll depend on the destination and timing with the other ones, but yeah, I'm interested in going to a bowl game. If they're in a if if they're in a New Year's Bowl game, I'm almost certain that I'll go. They should be able to avoid the Sun Bowl, which I think is really all anybody cares about. <laughs> you don't want to go to El Paso, not really. Although I've never been there. Oh, really? No. So you know, an experience. And I like I hear the Sun Bowl is puts on a, a yes. fantastic production. Oh, they make it very they make it well worth everyone's while that goes down there because they they want people to come back to El Paso. Um, yeah, we'll see when it gets closer. I've got a couple of good El Paso stories from Husky seasons gone by. <laughs> we'll have to hear those. Uh, 6 p.m. kick, stay caffeinated, especially you. Yeah, that's right. I Out there on the East late. Coast, staying up late to watch Colorado play football. Dedication. <laughs> I don't uh, know if it's dedication. <laughs> enjoy the game, everybody. We will talk to you next week.